21. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. We're looking at our next king in the series on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, we are going to head back down south um, to Judah. Last week, we looked at Jehoram, the king of Israel. Uh, And again, I'm not going to go through these every week because we'll be there forever. But last week, we looked at um, Jehoram, the king of Israel, who reigned for 12 years. And he was the king of confusion because his name meant what? Jehovah is exalted. And if you remember, we saw he had three significant victories. A victory against the Moabites, a victory twice against the Syrians where it was a supernatural victory. But he did not give God the glory. He did not exalt the Lord as he should have. Um, He was um, one of uh, um, Ahab's Ahab's sons, and uh, we are going to see um, very soon that reign, that dynasty come to an end, um, which is what Elijah prophesied. At this time, Elisha is the prophet during um, Jehoram's reign, and we saw the interaction between um, Elisha and Jehoram quite often. And you would have thought, with all of that going on, that Jehoram would have lived up to his name and exalted um, God for what he had done. But he didn't. And that surely would have caused confusion among the people to say, well, he says that he exalts Jehovah God, but he doesn't. He worships Baal. Um, And we kind of said that if we claim to be Christians, then our lives ought to reflect the person that we are claiming to belong to, to live up to that name. Now then, if you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 21, and uh, we're going to look at the first um, six verses, it says, Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram reigned in his stead, and he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah and Jehiel and Zechariah and Azariah and Michael and Sephanathah, him and all these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold, of precious things with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom he gave to Jehoram because he was his firstborn. Now, when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren. Uh, with the sword and diverse also uh, and diverse also the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Albeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And as he promised, to give a light to him, to his sons forever. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together and for the opportunity to come around your word, Lord. And we just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. And we are just so thankful for the privilege that we have, Lord, to open up your word. We just ask now, Lord, that you would help us. And as we look at another king, Lord, and as we look at another bad 
king. Uh, we just pray that we would learn from the examples of the ungodly characters in the scripture that we have, uh, that we might uh, learn from their mistakes, learn from their disobedience, learn uh, from their rebellion to the word of God, uh, that we might not make the same mistakes, that we might not walk the same path. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to recognize the importance for us to walk worthy of the vocation with which we've been called. Father, we just pray now that you'd speak to our hearts today in Christ's most precious and wonderful name. Amen. Um, so sometimes um, we see an overlap. Uh, if you try to um, kind of work out the dates that these kings reigned, sometimes it says, oh, well, you know, Jehoram in the northern kingdom reigned and started reigning in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, but then Jehoshaphat is still alive when his son uh, Jehoram is reigning, and his reign on the throne doesn't quite line up with the other reign on the throne, and we can't quite add up perfectly Sometimes you have an overlap. Sometimes a king would set up their son on the throne as a co-regent. So even though um, Jehoram reigned on the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, and he reigned for 12 years, Jehoshaphat only reigned for 25 years, so Jehoram would have reigned five years after Jehoshaphat died. But then Jehoram, it says, reigned eight years on the throne. And if he came to the throne after Jehoshaphat's death, he would have reigned eight years after Jehoshaphat's death. So he would have reigned a year after Jehoram in the northern kingdom died. But Jehoram in the southern kingdom died before Jehoram in the northern kingdom. Are you with me so far? No? Do you need me to go over that again? Basically, there's an overlap. So if you were to look at this and say, well, hang on a minute, that doesn't quite fit because this king in the northern kingdom is still reigning when that king's reign was in the southern kingdom was more than his or less than his, but that doesn't mean it. So I'm just saying that sometimes there's an overlap, uh, that you, you don't put the dates all together one after the other. Because if you remember Jehoshaphat, where was he for a lot of his reign? Where was Jehoshaphat? The king of compromise. Where was he fighting? Remember, he strengthened himself, taught the southern kingdom the word of God. Then he aligned himself. So he was in the northern kingdom with Ahab. He aligned himself with Ahab because he gave Athaliah, Ahab gave Athaliah, his daughter, to Jehoshaphat so that Jehoram could be married. So... Jehoshaphat then puts Jehoram as a co-regent. So while he's in the northern kingdom fighting with Ahab, Jehoram is in the southern kingdom as a co-regent. Are you with me so far? Wonderful. So what we see about um, Jehoram, first and foremost, that this is a bad king. He is a king of violence. He is a king of violence. And the first thing we see is Jehoram's tactics. The first thing he does is he basically wipes out anybody who is a threat to the throne. When Jehoram came to the throne, he also strengthened his kingdom, um, which you think, oh, um, that's great. Now, when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself. Brilliant. That's exactly what his father did. If you remember, Jehoshaphat strengthened the kingdom. 
But Jehoshaphat strengthened the kingdom by teaching people the word of God. Jehoshaphat strengthened the kingdom not only from um, a physical and material point of view. Jehoshaphat strengthened the kingdom from a spiritual point of view. But now his son Jehoram comes to the throne and he strengthens the kingdom. And you think, so far so good. But then it says he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword. He slaughtered all of his brothers. And there was no need for him to do this. Jehoshaphat was very, very clever in what he did. He had left an inheritance for every one of his sons. Because what um, Jehoshaphat did in verse 3, he gave them gifts of silver and gold and precious things and fenced cities in Judah. So what Jehoshaphat did is strategically, he placed all of his sons around Judah. Remember, we, we talked about like the, um, when, when Jehoshaphat taught the word and when Jehoshaphat um, had the trade routes and the supply routes kind of covered because he had these strategic cities. Well, he put his sons in charge of them. So now you wouldn't have had a rebellion taking place in a city to the, the extreme of his kingdom because... His son was there. And then he wouldn't have had a rebellion in the south of the city because one of his sons was there. So Jehoshaphat had the whole country covered um, by his reign because his sons were taking care of a particular area of the country. But he gave, where he gave overall control of that to his firstborn, to Jehoram. And um, he wasn't obliged to do that. He didn't need to do that. Um, if God had wanted another one of the sons to reign, then God would have made that known. Solomon wasn't um, David's firstborn. Um, you know, we, we recognize that. But Jehoshaphat gives um, the, the overall kingdom to Jehoram. Um, so Jehoram was a blessed man. He had all of this wealth. Uh, the kingdom was well protected. The kingdom was well versed in, in the word of God. And he had a power unlike his brothers. His brothers were responsible for a, a small portion of the kingdom. But Jehoram was responsible for the whole kingdom. So what does he do to strengthen? He's not strengthening the kingdom. He's strengthening his ego. And what he does is he kills everybody. That's his tactics. He not only killed his brothers, but he also killed divers also of the princes of Israel. You know, we, we recognize the fact that um, in, in our royal family, you know, we, 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 I, for those of you who might remember, if you weren't here, and I, I, I don't know exactly when this took place, so I, I might be speaking out the turn here, but for those who remember um, Edward and Mrs. Simpson. You know, when King Edward abdicated the throne, um, it went on to his brother, George, which was Queen Elizabeth's father. Um, so you recognize that there is a line of succession. You know, if, you know, some people are like 21st in line to the throne, which means that, you know, they are some kind of cousin to the original family. So there's a succession. So what Jehoram does is he not only kills his brothers, but he's like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after my, my nephews and I'm going to go after you know, their children. I'm going to make sure that there is nobody 
that can take this throne from me. And what was his motivation? Now, when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself, slew all of his brethren with the sword, and diverse uh, princes of Israel. This act of wickedness was just to strengthen himself, not to strengthen the kingdom, not to strengthen Judah against possible attacks from Israel from the north, not to strengthen uh, Judah from possible attacks from Moab or Edom or Egypt. He strengthened himself. And we know that when pride is involved, a fall is not too far behind. He was driven by a selfish ambition. His heart was far from God. And you think, where? Where is he getting this advice from? It says in verse 6 that he walked in the way of the king of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And he wrote that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So he didn't walk in the ways of Jehoshaphat, his father. He didn't walk in the ways of David, his great, 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 etc. grandfather. He walked in the ways of his father-in-law. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. And we know that there is never going to be a good king upon the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel. It never happens. So he walked in the ways of the people who worshipped Baal. He walked in the ways of the people that were quite happy with child sacrifice. He walked in the ways of the people that had turned their backs upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was no more wicked king than his in-laws because they come as a pair, Ahab and Jezebel. If Jehoshaphat thought that by marrying his son into that ungodly home, he could influence the northern kingdom for good, he was sorely mistaken. We've said this time and time and time again. You never, ever have a basket of fruit and the one rotten piece of fruit never gets improved by the dozen good fruit around it. The rotten fruit always affects the fruit next to it. You know, the Bible's quite clear about be careful with who you bother with. Don't be unequally yoked. And oftentimes we quote that in, oh, don't court people, don't date people who are not saved. It, it goes to every aspect of life. Jehoshaphat aligned with an unequal yoke. He didn't marry Ahab in that sense, but he certainly lined up with him. And, you know, he was rebuked for that. He's like, what, what, what has... You know, what, 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 what purpose is it to have light with darkness? It doesn't go. You, you can't, um, you, you're not going to influence uh, that northern kingdom, Jehoshaphat. But he thought he was doing the right thing. Haggai, the prophet, said um, that the clean never purifies the unclean. Haggai 2.12, he says that if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with the skirt that touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. So Haggai says, you, you don't have something clean touching something unclean, and the clean makes the unclean clean. But the unclean, whenever it touches the clean, makes the clean unclean. 
This is not the type of thing to be saying after a week of camp. Are you with me so far? We go back to the fruit. The good fruit does not make the rotten fruit better. The rotten fruit will always make the good fruit worse. And that's basically what Haggai is saying. You see that in the Old Testament principle. If, you know, if, if unclean touches something clean, it makes it unclean. Uh, Jehoram had Ahab's daughter to wife. And they say that behind every good man is a good woman. Well, can I say this? Behind every wicked man is an even worse woman. And we see that with Ahab and Jezebel. You know, the old saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, now, that doesn't mean that every wicked person, because we see wicked kings have good children, and, but we also see good kings have bad children. Um, but Athaliah is, is a chip off the old block. Um, she is exactly like her mother. And, and we see that, don't we, in Ahab's life. Behind every wicked man, there is a wicked woman. Um, we see how Samson fared with Delilah. You know, and you wonder, how many times did she have to try and get him to con- convince him to tell her where his strength was? And each time he told her, he was getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the truth. How stupid are you? Every time you tell her, somebody comes in and, and tries to take you. What are you doing? Uh, we see that, you know, with David in terms of his wife, uh, Michael, Saul's daughter. We see Job marry a woman who told him to basically curse God and die. Herod married a woman who ended up demanding that John the Baptist's head be presented on a platter. Athaliah was not a pleasant woman. It says in 2 Kings 11, when that when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed the royal seed. We'll look at that next time when we look at Ahaziah. But we see the murderous intent in her heart. Um, so she hasn't changed, so she's the one pulling the strings in Jehoram's uh, house. You know, if her son wasn't going to rule, nobody was going to rule. So you can see that. You can see her saying to Jehoram, hey, listen now, you need to protect your throne. You need to strengthen yourself. You need to make sure that you wipe out any possible person that has um, a claim to that throne. Any rivals, they need to go. We see Job rejecting the counsel of his wife, and he was blessed. We see Samson take the counsel of his wife, and he ended up dying in shame. And we do thank God for godly wives. Proverbs says that that woman is far above rubies. Um, And woe betide to the man who marries an Athaliah or a Jezebel or a Delilah. Not only um, does he destroy his, his siblings, but he destroyed the spiritual advances that his father had made. Because it says in verse 11, Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compel Judah there too. So Jehoram forces the nation into worshiping Baal. 
He forces the nation into sexual immorality. And we need to understand that along with Baal worship became sexual promiscuity, became, um, you know, um, sexual wickedness. That was um, the way in which that um, um, religion functioned. And Jehoram forces the nation to do that. And, you know, we see that today. We kind of see a world today where we are forced to accept sexual immorality. And we're forced to accept it as the norm. And, you know, the, the, the things that we have uh, having pushed on us today. Jehoram introduces the nation to paganism. Where did he get that idea from? He didn't get it from his dad. Because Jehoshaphat taught the kingdom. He strengthened the kingdom with the word of God. He got it from his in-laws. Jehoshaphat strengthened the kingdom in the right way. So Athaliah didn't just influence her husband politically. She influenced him spiritually. She, like her mother, was the one pulling all the strings. You know, I, when I, before I came to Bethany, um, I was um, traveling around the UK trying to raise some support to, to go into the ministry full-time because we were you know, about to leave work. And um, I think it was in the May... Uh, I came here in the August, and I think it was the May I was preaching in, in David Moore's church in Milton. That was the first time I, I met David and Hazel. I was back in May 2006. And uh, he was, we were sat in his house having, having dinner, and I remember him telling this story, and I've, I think I've told this story so many times. But he was saying about one time having a deacon's meeting, and he said he had one particular deacon. And you know when he says that the husband says, I'm the head of the house. But oftentimes we know men, the woman's the neck. She's controlling the head. And uh, this deacon was speaking up in the meeting and David Moore said, I, he stopped the deacon and said, you know what? He said, I can see your lips moving, but I can hear your wife's voice. <laughs> Athaliah was pulling the strings. Athaliah. Just like her mother before her, you know, Ahab may have ruled the northern kingdom of Israel, but Jezebel ruled Ahab. Jehoram may have ruled the southern kingdom of Judah, but Athaliah reigned or ruled uh, Jehoram. Um, here's the thing. We can either help our spouse in the faith, or we can hinder them. Uh, I've told this story before about um, Joe and I, you know, when I was a young Christian, um, I, I made a, a whole host of mistakes and, um, you know, I wasn't grounded in my faith with the Lord and I backslid and I remember saying um, to my pastor one time about, you know, not always having that desire to be in church and Joe was always the one who said, come on, we got to go to church, we got to go to church, we got to go to church. I was like, oh, you know, well... Hannah's little, and, you know, she's made, I'll stay home and look after Hannah. And then Pastor Rex said this. He said, here's the thing. He said, you were sat down, and Joe is standing up. And Joe is trying to pull you up off that chair every week. But before long, you were going to affect her strength. And you were going to pull her down. And I really hurt because it was like, hang on a minute now. I'm the one responsible for the spiritual guiding in my home. And yet, I had the potential to destroy her walk with the Lord. We are meant to encourage one another in our walk. 
But depending on how we act and how we behave, we can also have an adverse effect on someone's walk with the Lord. The pressure that Athaliah put upon her husband was felt by everybody. So not only do we see Jehoram's tactics, but we see Edom's revolt. And it says in verse 8, in the days, uh, in Jehoram's days, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Therefore Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of um, the chariots. Here was the man who thought he could strengthen himself by doing things his own way, but instead of strengthening his kingdom, he actually made the kingdom weaker. Remember we said that these sons were placed, Jehoshaphat's sons, Jehoram's brothers, were placed all around the kingdom? You think about it. You know, the the neighbors would say then, well, I'm not going to go against them because they've got that stronghold. You know, they've they've got a prince in that city. They've got an army. They've got a garrison. Uh, They're well protected. If we try and go against them, we're going to be defeated before we get past the first city. But by Jehoram taking that prince out, he doesn't strengthen the nation. He weakens the nation. Or he may have strengthened himself, but he weakened his nation. We know the Edomites were a longtime enemy of Israel, but they kind of were subdued under David's reign. And for 147 years, Edom had given Judah no problem whatsoever. But now Jehoram has weakened the kingdom so much, the Edomites say, hey, 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 we've got a chance here. We see a weakness. Can I say this? It doesn't take much for the devil to see a chink in your armor to think, that's where I can get him. That's where I can get a foothold. That's where their sin is. That's where their weakness is. That's where they fall down. That's what they struggle with. That's where I can find an end. And that's what the Edomites do. They see straight away that there's an opportunity to fight back. Ecclesiastes 9.8 says that wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Jehoram. In his sin, undid everything that his father had built up and strengthened. There was a loss of power. His enemies came and they raided the kingdom. It says in verse 17, in verse 16, Moreover, the Lord stood up against Jehoram, the spirit of the Philistines. We haven't heard about the Philistines. They've been quiet since David was on the throne. Um, he raised up the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians um, that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives, so that there was never a son left him save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. His enemies came in and took everything, all because of his selfishness. By strengthening himself, he weakened the nation. He thought he knew better than God. Anytime we think we know better than God, we will never strengthen ourselves. We will only weaken ourselves spiritually. So we see uh, Jehoram's tactics, kill everyone. Strengthen myself, 
We see Edom's revolt. As soon as there's a weakness in the kingdom, the enemy comes in. But then we see Elijah's letter. Thankfully, God always has his man. You know, when we say, ah, there's no temptation given among men whereby we're tempted, God will always provide a way of escape. God always has his man in the right place at the right time. Now then, let me ask you this question. I'll ask you a question after this. Um, In verse 12, And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold! With a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods and thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. So, what is interesting about Elijah's letter? Let me ask this question. Where did Elijah prophesy? In the northern kingdom. We see Elijah, um, you know, with the, 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 the battle on Mount Carmel. We see Elijah talking to Ahab about there not being any rain, about the famine. Elijah's in the northern kingdom. Um, something else we see interesting here is this is the only written prophecy we have of Elijah. Um, now, let me ask you this question. Where is Elijah during the time of Jehoram's reign. Where's Elijah? Is he still in the northern kingdom? Don't forget now. If I can do this. Don't forget now. Uh-huh. Elijah, Elijah is prophesying during Ahab's reign. And then we see Elisha. Um, come on the, uh, you know, um, come to the, the forefront. But around about this time, Elijah is taken up to heaven. So by the start of Jehoram's reign, Elijah's already gone. Elijah's up in heaven. So it says that there came a writing from Elijah the prophet to Jehoram, who's not going to reign Oh, not going to come to the throne till after Elijah's gone. I think God knows what he's doing. I think God knows exactly uh, what's going on. I think God can be trusted in these areas. I think God knows exactly who's doing what, where, and when. And even before Jehoram has even gone down this path, God knew exactly what he was going to do and said to Elijah, right, do me a favor, before you go, I need you to send a letter. God already knows about tomorrow. You know, we can stress so much about what tomorrow's going to bring. How are we going to cope with that? How are we going to get through that? How are we going to manage? And God is saying, child, I've, I've already got it. In fact, I've already been there. I've seen what happens tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. I've got it. And I've got you. And you know what? If the circumstance is such tomorrow that you can't deal with it, I'll give you the grace you need to get through it. I'll give you the strength that you need in order to face that tomorrow. Jehoram was going to be struck down with a great sickness, a disease of the bowels. 
and this is a horrendous disease. Apparently, um, somebody in, in America has done a study on this particular disease, and they're quite convinced that this could possibly have been something like bowel cancer. Um, but it literally says that his bowels fell out. Um, how awful is that? It says in verse 18, after all of this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came to pass that in process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness. So he died. What an awful, um, what an awful disease to have, incurable. You know, if God chose to afflict somebody in this way, no amount of physicians could help. No amount of medication could help. Nothing could have stopped this other than Jehoram's repentance. You know, we recognize that some illnesses affect us because of lifestyle choices. You know, whether that's cirrhosis of the liver through to alcohol or whether that's um, a problem with our lungs through smoking, some illnesses we recognize are hereditary. You know, one of the things um, you sometimes get asked when you're maybe filling out life insurance forms or, you know, medical questions, is there a history in your family of? Because some illnesses are passed on um, by our parents. We recognize that ultimately every illness and every disease is a result of the fall. Um, some of the diseases and, and illnesses we have today that, you know, were unheard of years ago are because of man's sinful nature. But how humbling to think that God could intervene in someone's life and afflict them in such a way that there was no hope. We read in 1 Samuel 5 how God struck down the Philistines with an ailment because um, they literally mocked God's presence by putting the ark of God in the temple of um, Dagon. Uh, we read in Psalm 38, King David speaking about an illness he experienced because of God's chastening hand. In the church at Corinth, Paul said, there's many among you who are sick. Why? Because of the way in which they were treating the Lord's table. James 5 speaks of the man who is brought low. Sometimes God will kind of afflict us to get us to a point where we're like, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to get from this? What, what do you want to teach me? And, you know, Joe said many times that there's been instances where her back has been at a point where she physically can't move, and that's when the Lord has spoken to her clearer than any other time because she's doing nothing but listening. In Jehoram's case, God gave him two years. They said this illness took two years. Why didn't God just wipe him out straight away? Because God, in his grace, still gave him time to repent. God, in his grace, still gave him time to live up to his name. Don't forget now, he's got the same name as, the, as, as his uncle in the, in the northern kingdom, or as his brother-in-law. In the northern kingdom, Jehoram, God, Jehovah, is exalted. If he had exalted the Lord, if he had turned to the Lord, if he had repented to the Lord, then he would have saved himself a whole lot of hassle. 
But he missed the opportunity to repent. And he died a horrible death. But here's the kicker in all of this. Jehoram strengthened himself. That was his tactics. Take everybody out. Kill them all. But then finally, you see Judah, his kingdom's apathy. It says in verse 19, it came to pass that in a process of time after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, so he died of sore disease, and his people made no burning for him, like the burning of his fathers. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the king. That's the legacy that Jehoram left behind. He was not missed. Have you ever been to someone's funeral where the minister doesn't know the person that he's burying? And he gives the eulogy and everything. Who on earth is he talking about? Oh, they were such a lovely person. No, they weren't. That's why there's only five of us in the church. They were horrible. He said, who are you talking about? Oh, they were so lovely, they wouldn't say boo to a goose. No, they weren't. They were the vilest person I've ever met on this planet. I'm only here to make sure they've actually gone. <laughs> you, you ever been to one of those type of funerals? And then there's some funerals you go to, and you're like, yeah, that's exactly who they were. Oh, you couldn't have summed that up any better. Oh, they just loved the Lord, and you know, they, they, this would have been right up their alley with the church just praising the Lord, and Nothing like that for Jehoram. He wasn't missed. In fact, they couldn't wait to get rid of him. They made no burning for him. There was no honor in his death. He departed without being desired. No one regretted his passing. You know, I, I'm not a massive fan of the royal family. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, I don't stand up and put my hand on my heart when they sing God save the king or God save the queen. You know, I'm glad that we as a, country have got a royal family, I think it's cool. But when Queen Elizabeth died, even though I haven't got her picture in my house, um, you know, I, I like having her picture in my wallet, but I haven't got her picture in my house. But I think everybody was affected when she died. You know, it's the only monarch I've, I've ever known, and a lot of you here have ever known. And it was like, oh, even if you weren't a fan of the royal family, you recognize her importance in our nation. You recognize her worth in our nation. You recognize, you know, what she had done. You know, incredibly, you recognized her faith. So even if people weren't fans of the royal family, there was still a, I don't know, there was a, a, a reverence to her in her passing. There was a, a kind of remorse in her passing to the point where people said, oh, yeah, she will be missed. Her funeral was watched by millions all over the world. Not you people queued up for days just to walk past to see her coffin lying in state. But there was nothing like that for Jehoram. He wasn't missed. He, he, in fact, they were glad to see the back of him. Uh, it says they buried him in the city of David but not in the sepulchre of the kings. He was afforded no honor whatsoever. It's almost as if they said, well, he's not worthy of that. We see the measure of the man. We see what he was like. He was a nightmare. We're glad to see the back of him. Jehoram's record is written for our admonition. 
What it shows us is that every single one of us will leave behind a legacy. You know, Pastor Ed always used to say about the fact that all that's going to um, matter in our lives when we die is the dash between the day we were born and the day that we left this earth. And the important thing is what we do with that dash. Because guess what? When we go, our legacy lives on. If we live the Lord and we come to the day when people gather in a church like this to kind of you know, mark their respects or pass in, if we love the Lord, then we're going to want the Lord to be celebrated and glorified when we go. And we want to pass that legacy on. To say, that was a person that loved the Lord. That was a person that lived for the Lord. That was a person that served the Lord. That was a person who even looked like and acted like a believer should. Or is our legacy going to be, oh, there goes another hypocrite. Good riddance. You know, they lived a double life. They said one thing on a Sunday and they said something completely different for the rest of the week. I wouldn't believe a word that come out of their mouths. What a load of old nonsense. We can be negatively influenced by relatives and friends. Or we can be positively influenced by them. We in turn can negatively influence or impact someone's life. Or we can have a positive effect on them. Their view of Christ, more often than not, is going to be in relation to how we behave. We are meant to be Christians. We are meant to be Christ-like. We are meant to be, and I don't mean this irreverently, mini-Christs is basically what a Christian means. You know, they were first called Christians in Antioch as a slur. Oh, look at you, you're just like that Christ from Galilee. Yeah, we're meant to be just like that Christ from Galilee. We're meant to be like him. One day we'll be perfectly like him when we get to glory, but until then, people are meant to see Christ in us. And the only way we can do that is to hear the word to obey the word, to apply the word, to spend time with him. I'm thankful for the fact that even though Jehoram failed miserably, God still gave him an opportunity to repent. We will stumble many times in our lives, but God is never going to go, that's it, I'm done with you. cares too much for us to leave us to our own devices. But we need to understand the importance of how we live our lives in this day and age. Because we might be the only Bible a lost person will ever read. Jehoram's tactics were all focused on himself. It's interesting that there's, even though Jehoshaphat made some compromises, there's nothing bad recorded about Jehoshaphat in that sense, negatively. But on the flip side of the coin, there's nothing good recorded about Jehoram. What legacy do you want to leave behind? Are you going to be so self-centered that you're just going to leave a negative legacy behind that people turn around and say, I'm glad they're gone? Do you know, I would rather people say, I'm glad he's gone because all he did was talk about the Lord. 
then I'm glad he's gone because he was just a waste of space. He was an oxygen stealer. He's just taking up our oxygen. What legacy will we leave behind? I pray that it's one that only ever glorifies God. I pray that it's a legacy that only ever points to God. And I pray that we have a positive impact on people for the cause of Christ. They might not have a positive view of us because of our witnessing. But I would rather people have a negative view of me because of my witnessing than a negative view of me because of my lack. Because I failed to live up to the name that I had. Not as Darren Rogers, but as a child of God. As a Christian. As one of his. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to be a positive influence on people and to leave a legacy behind that only glorifies him. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together. And we just pray that you continue to speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to recognize the importance of living a life that is pleasing to you. So, Lord, would you help us this week to to let our light shine? Would you help us to, to shine that gospel light to those who are lost without Christ? Would you help us to have a positive impact on people's lives, Lord? And would you help us to stay away from those that have a negative impact on us? So, Father, we just pray that you would use us in whatever way you see fit, that we might be a, a blessing to those around us, and that we might point people to Christ, uh, that we might point people to the cross of Calvary, and we might be the stepping stone to Christ rather than the stumbling block. So, Father, we just pray that you would help us in all of these things. We pray and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I stand and sing our last hymn together.
but close us in a word of prayer. Thank you, Carl. salvation plan that we have. And the letter from Elijah just, just goes to prove the things that are, that are there in front of us or that we are not fully aware of and we never see in our lifetime, Lord. But the word that you allow us to pass on to others will, Lord, and will affect people in so many ways. But we think of the camp of last week and we just pray that everything that the children heard uh, of, of your greatness and, and your love would be uh, accepted in their hearts, Lord. Have that uh, bond and, and family uh, joining with yourself. Lord. We ask you to uh, bless the service that we will have uh, later on this evening, or when we all come together again. In Jesus' precious name, we ask all of these things and we do all the praise and glory. Amen. Amen.